Good evening. Okay. I was looking at uh, the hymns that we were singing, and I was like, wow, this is uh, really a submissive uh, type of spirit here. And then I realized the, you know, the, the uh, index up there, it's, it's all the songs of submission. <laughs> I was like, wow, one after another. Um, uh, tonight, uh, Lord willing, uh, by the grace of God, we are going to uh, take a look um, at some of what the Bible has to say about unity. Um, it's something that's been on my heart for a little bit. Um, I wish I could uh, have put more time uh, into it, but the things of life uh, sometimes become a little entangling and makes it uh, difficult to prepare. But nonetheless, we will go forward. Uh, the thought tonight, uh, <clears throat> unity, uh, to be one with God and to become one with one another. Um, open your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> uh, perhaps uh, you've been at the mall and you've uh, been walking through and, and maybe you've even experienced this. Uh, you see a, maybe a mom or a, a father or a family. Uh, they've got a few children with them. And uh, as they're making their way down the aisle, uh, the kids are pulling things off the shelf. Uh, they're, they're running off from them, hiding underneath the, the clothing rack. Um, they're bickering with one another. And, and you, you look at that and you say, you know, Glad that's not me. <laughs> you don't want to be uh, a part of that. Uh, sometimes if it's you, 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 you know, I've, we're with the kids and it's like, oh man, uh, I hope nobody sees, you know, what's going on here. It's, it's really something that uh, uh, does not encourage us, but kind of makes us draw back a little bit. Um, this is kind of the idea that we want to keep in mind when we think about uh, unity. Um, it's something that should be uh, good and pleasant. The psalmist talks about that, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell uh, in unity. <clears throat> um, let's just uh, let's take a minute and talk to the Lord, shall we? Uh, Father, we do praise you and we thank you for this great and wonderful gift that we have through your son, the Lord Jesus the gift of salvation. Father, there are many wonderful, great and precious promises that you have laid out for us in the scriptures. Uh, we pray, Father, that as we spend a little time looking at the thoughts and the topic of unity, uh, that you'll draw our hearts together, uh, that we will, <clears throat> through your word, become uh, one in mind and in spirit. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll help us uh, through these things. Uh, we know that we are weak in the flesh, but uh, you are strong through the Spirit. And so we look to you now uh, that you will guide and direct uh, and that uh, you will help us uh, this evening. Uh, we do pray, Father, that uh, if anything is incorrect, that it will be corrected, Father, uh, in gentleness, in love, but that we be people of the truth, 
And Father, that uh, your son be honored and glorified always in his name. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll go ahead and begin to read. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a, me, uh, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> Tonight, I read quite a bit, but uh, hoping to maybe more from a devotional standpoint, consider the two unities that are mentioned in this portion of Scripture. Paul starts out with, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. He says, I, I want to plead with you. I want to implore you. Um, there's a reason here. 
He is encouraging them to walk in a way that is worthy, a way that is uh, acceptable uh, to uh, the calling to which they were called. Uh, This calling uh, would be in, in reference to the fact that Christ died according to our scriptures. Uh, died, uh, died for our sins according to the scriptures uh, and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. It's in reference to the gospel. And if we consider the gospel that we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, have, uh, that we died with him, that we were buried with him, that we were raised with him, that means something. It should mean something to us. It should have an impact on what we do. Who we are defines what we do. And Paul is saying that, listen, if if you're of this calling, then you need to walk worthy of this. You need to honor that. And he says that when you do this, you need to do it with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing. It's, It's in a humble way. In a meek way, considering uh, others. He then says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, this is the first unity that, that we come across here. <clears throat> and this is uh, something that Paul says, considering the walk that we have, we need to value what we have. And he he uses the word endeavoring. This is the thought, the idea of to study, to labor, to work towards. Um, And so we see here that the, the, to study, uh, to keep. The word keep has the idea of protect or preserve. We look at this simply and we see that we should study to preserve or protect the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit would be something that we would liken into uh, where someone gives you something of great importance and they ask you to take care of it, to keep it in the same condition that it presently is. They want you to care for it. It's something of great value. And this is the way Paul is expressing this, that the unity of the Spirit is is like a treasure uh, that we are to to look into, to search, to figure out how we can preserve to protect this great treasure. And we have to do it in such a way that it's about peace. It's done in the bonds of peace. Peace. This is something that is difficult. The natural man cannot do this. And we find that the ability to do this uh, is not something that we possess, per se. It's something that is given to us. It's something that is really within us. And we'll look at that uh, in a little bit further here. Uh, The unity of the spirit uh, that is kept in the bond of peace. 
Paul points out seven, uh, we could say, unities or, or attributes that would be in relationship to this. There's one body. Uh, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Uh, we have these things in common. We could look at these and we could, we could say these are something that are very special. Uh, if we start to look into them, uh, we would see that there's one body. This is a, a, a unity where the Spirit of God gathers multiple people from different backgrounds and brings them all together. We could see that there's one spirit, the spirit that, that is working within this and bringing it together. The ministry of the spirit, working within the life of that body to conduct, to guide, to direct. And we have the hope that we all share in common. These things that we have here are things that we share in common, and it's part of this unity of the Spirit. We could say that the unity of the Spirit is something where the Spirit of God brings us all together, and it's something that that we have, we we possess, and it's something that, that where we are in Christ, And we are made one with God. It takes a lot of work to look into what it uh, takes to to protect, to guard, uh, to preserve uh, this unity of the Spirit. Uh, There are are things that would like to tarnish it. The unity of the Spirit speaks of our oneness in God. And there are are entities and things that would like to mock it, make fun of it, rebuke it, bring reproach to it, and to say that it really means nothing. But this one little statement is a treasure in the Word of God that is of great value. To continue on, uh, go to verse 7. <laughs> In thinking that if the unity of the Spirit is one with God, we're going to look at the unity of the faith. And that it directs us towards being one with one another. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We see that it is Christ who gave a gift. And this gift is a measure of his grace to us. This tells us that there's a purpose. Uh, The grace of God always has a purpose, an intent. Uh, It's it's a blessing that has been provided. Uh, We see here that that in this gift, uh, that there is an idea that he has provided the resources to build us up. Uh, In verse 11, we see that he himself gave some apostles 
some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, these men that we would call are a gift, the gifts that were given from the ascended one who led captivity captive. These men passed down the teachings of the Lord to the saints, supplying the resource for the body of Christ to be nourished so that they may mature into Christ-likeness. In verses 12 through 16, we get this idea that the unity of the faith is simply believing who God is and knowing his thoughts and his ways and having a right or mature mind. I believe Paul is getting after the idea here that He has an anticipation for the Christians to come into maturity. He has a hope that they will that they will be of the perfect man, that they'll be of the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see that uh, the way that the Lord has set down the gifts that are given these men will help to prevent the church, the body of Christ, from coming into the perils of the world and ensure healthy growth through the years to come. And thinking about uh, maturity here, maturity, uh, we, we get the thought that That this work is something that uh, it says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And there's a thought here that this is, this is going to take place when we enter into glory. When we go to be with the Lord. That then we will be a perfect man. That then we will be of the, that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And to be honest with you, that's true. That's true. When we get to glory, we are going to be like him. When we see him, we will be like him. But I believe the context of Scripture is trying to get at this idea. That what we will be, what we will have, then we can have now. We can participate in it now. Not to the fullness, not to the the. the, the the totality of it. But in some measure, in some degree, we can participate in this perfect man, this identification. Paul writes here, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. This seems almost impossible but I believe that through the Spirit of God, it is very possible. Paul gives a little bit of context in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. 
when we're thinking of the maturity of the Christian. You know, it's not an odd thing to think of uh, persons as mature. When we, uh, when we have a baby, they start to grow. And at some point, they grow teeth. <laughs> and they, they start to mature. They can now eat some foods. And then at a certain point, Allison, she yesterday comes up and she goes, look, Dad, wiggles her tooth, you know? And it's like, already? How old are you? She's like six years old. And Kristen's like, yeah, it's time, right? You're going to start falling out. Um, she's going to lose those teeth and she's going to get in her adult teeth. And she's going to go through adolescence. And, you know, at a certain point, a person becomes an adult. One day, Logan, you'll get to be an adult. You'll be mature as soon as you get your adult teeth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but we, we, you know, we, we uh, you boys, when, when you, uh, you know, 18, man, you're ready to grab a gun and go off to war, right? I mean, you're an adult. You're mature. Do you know everything? No way. Uh, are you ready to take on the world? Probably, <laughs> right? Um, maturity is not something that has completion to it. But we see in, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.15, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If we don't get it, God will show us. So Paul says this, nevertheless, to the degree, and that's added in, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We see that uh, maturity is something that uh, is, is of a certain state. It's of a certain value or degree. And at some point, we should become mature in the faith. Uh, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, excuse me, verse 16. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, this is talking about the effects that this will have for the man of God, God's man, may be complete. The King James says perfect. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. This here is the idea I believe Paul is trying to get at. That we are equipped for the ministry. That we are enabled to go out. To minister to one another. To minister uh, to the, the lost world. And more specifically, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with the every wind of doctrine. It's important that we understand the word of God that has been passed down to us, that we take it and receive it, and that we follow it, that we keep it. This is part of the unity that we have as Christian brethren. And we're going to see that the power of it 
is not in our own minds. It's not through our own struggles. This is something that's of the Spirit. It's something that's of the Lord. Paul continues on in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. When Paul preached the Gospel, he had one thing that he wanted them to know. And that was Christ and Him crucified. He wanted them to know the most important thing. And that is the one who had died for them. Who gave his life for them. But it wasn't only that. It was all that comes with Christ. That when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We get the whole package. We get all the benefits and all the blessings that come with him. And this book of Ephesians is filled with talking about the blessings. Uh, In chapter 1 we would read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Uh, blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. In chapter 2, we come across uh, in verse uh, 5, verse, start with verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He doesn't stop there. He says, and raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, but wait, he doesn't stop there. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is concerned that the the Christian, the saint, this one who is in Christ and made one with God, understands Fully what we have, what we've been handed down, and that it's precious to us, and that it means something to us. That should affect us. It should change our lives, that we would, that we would be willing to live for him. I surrender all? Really? I don't. <laughs> I haven't surrendered all. Maturity. Maturity is something that we can accomplish, that we can, we can have. We, we can get it. We don't have to know everything. We just have to receive the truth. Be willing to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Part of maturity has to do with recognizing, uh, Logan, do you dress yourself? I hope so. Good. Okay. Has to do with getting dressed and understanding. Go to verse 22. Paul is going to encourage them that as they're mature in the faith, in this unity of the faith, he says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The idea here of putting off is is literally the thought of taking a garment off getting undressed, to take it off. We are to reckon the old man is dead. There's no reason to wear old, dirty clothing. We're to take it off. And then Paul says, verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness 
and holiness. This is not just a metaphorical concept. This is something that is actually real. You physically do something. You dispatch with the old and you put on the new. But there's something in this. It's not just an action that we do. Look at verse 23. Right in the middle of this, we see, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Part of this getting changed is that your mind needs to change. My mind needs to become new. It needs to be the old taken out and the new brought in, exchanged. It's the idea of of, uh, repentance. To change your mind. Uh, In Romans 12.2, we would read, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's impossible to live a life for Christ without a renewed mind. You cannot go and put on your Sunday clothes and walk out and live the old life and expect people to go, wow, there's something different. It just won't happen with us. I've seen it in my own life, being in, in construction. I, there was a time in my life where, you know, I, I was more into surfing than I was into Christ. And the guys that I worked with had no idea who I was. They had no idea. They couldn't tell. I didn't run out and do all the raunchy things that they were doing, but... I mean, you know, to some extent, I didn't give him any other idea. What we do is going to give a view of who we are. Turn over to John chapter 17 and let's see what the Lord has to say about unity. In my thoughts of putting things together, I, there was a lot of wandering and, and such, but one of the things I was thinking of is there more to this, this unity that we have where we're one with God and we're one with one another and, and we have things in common and we, we share those things and we kind of struggle through and, and, and is there more to it? And I stumbled across this that seems to add even more intensity to the purpose of us being one. To having this unity with God. Uh, To coming into conformity of Christ. To being like-minded. John chapter 17, verse 20. Uh, We have here the Lord Jesus. He's with His disciples. There's 11 of them. One of them decided to step out. He had other intentions. And we see that uh, from John chapter 14 at the end, it says, arise, let us go from here. I believe we have this portion where the, the Lord and his disciples get up, they leave and possibly they're making their way through the city. They're having a discussion, possibly through 
uh, chapter 15, 16, and 17. Verse 1 says of 17, Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And it's at this point where the Lord sees these men. He knows what's coming. And he looks up and he, he starts to pray. We come to this part of his prayer. Verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In this context of the Lord's Prayer here, interceding on the behalf, we see in verse 20 that he says, I, pray for the, not, I, I do not pray for these alone. Uh, this would be in reference to the 11 men that were with him, the disciples. He says, but also for those who will believe. This was a futuristic prayer, a prayer that, that the Lord foreseen that there would be others who hear the word that they share with them and they believe. And he takes this into account. And he's going to lift them up in prayer. Those who will believe are you and I. It's us that he took into consideration. We have never seen the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anyone in here who has never made a commitment, believed on, received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, understanding that you're a sinner, that you face all the judgment and condemnation that God has made already towards sin. If there's anyone in here who has not found this way out of this condemnation, let me share with you, it's Jesus Christ. He's the way. Simply believing in Him brings you into this prayer right here. You don't need anybody to lead you. You just need to talk to God and tell him that you understand that you're a sinner. And that you need to be saved because you can't do it yourself. John wrote in uh, John 1.12, he says, But as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. Even to those that believe on his name. I love that verse. Because that includes me. I don't, I, I've never been able to see the Lord. And I look forward to that day when I will. But until then, I believe on His name. His name alone. And all that comes with it. And it's through that we have the right to act like children of God. That gives us the authority, the power. We're deputized. To run around as children of God. It's these that, that the Lord Jesus takes into account and prays for. 
He says in verse 21, that they all may be one. This is his intention. Paul, seeing this, learning this, knowing this, applies this in Ephesians. And he says that they all may be one. This is bringing all of them together. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. And we see something that's developed here. Normally we, we would express the Godhead in this, uh, we would say, a triangular shape, a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we see something interesting here. We see that there's the Father. There's the Son. And there's the believer. Being brought in together. Keep in mind that the believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. He's there. But this is something special. Being brought in together with with the Lord. And it's not that we're being made a God. But it's it's, it's that we're being made a part of Him. To be with Him. To experience things with Him. That we in Christ can enjoy all the benefits and blessings of God. I believe the idea that the Lord is getting to here is that the believer is hidden with Christ in God. He says that they also may be one in us. This is special. And then Jesus says this, that the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe that you sent me. Us being united with God is going to send the message that the world may believe? I think so. The idea here is that we are in Christ. And it's, it's speaking of how did we get there? It's through his redeeming work. It's it's through the work that Christ provided at the cross of Calvary. And this sends a message that God sent his son. In verse 22, we see a little different pattern. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Here the Lord seems to separate things a little bit. He says that they may be one just as we are one. As the Father and the Son are one, so it's the intent of the Lord that we be one. This is a little bit different. I believe that that in verse 21 we, we have this idea of more of a positional truth. But now we're going to get into a practical truth. One that is going to be more demonstrative. And he says, uh, he's going to explain this. Lord Jesus explains this in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me. And this brings to thought the idea of uh, when Jesus is talking in John chapter 10 and he's making reference to the the flock, to the sheep. He says that, that you're in my hand. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. And my Father, who's greater than I, no one can snatch you out of his hand. 
And we get this picture of where we're being supported by the Lord and, and the Father's hand is supporting the Lord's hand in a way. And we have this beautiful picture. There's no way we can be lost. I believe we have that here. We have the Christian and we have Christ in him. And who's in him? The Father. And then Jesus says this, that they may be made perfect in one. This is how we have the ability to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. The only way that we can do it is that it's, in, it's God in us. The Spirit is there. The Son is there. The Father is there. Christ is in us. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have all the resource right here to live a life that is pleasing to God. To live a life that demonstrates to the world. What does Jesus say? That they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know before it was believed, but here it is that they may know. This is through an experiential seeing things. That they may know, the world may know, that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. <clears throat> the thought that comes to mind here is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is it possible that our life, demonstrating through the, the gospel message, would send a message to the world that they would believe? Yeah, that's possible. Is it possible that, that as we live a life, a holy life in Christ, through Christ, that the world may know? Yeah, it's possible. But we have to take things into account. There's a cost. There's a great cost to all of this. Real quickly, in considering the, the preciousness of what we have in the unity of the spirit and of faith, that which has been handed down to us and entrusted to us uh, to, to take care of, to spend time in, we need to keep in mind that unity has enemies. There are enemies. There's no reason to protect Something that's special if no one's going to harm it, right? The number one enemy is Satan. I think we all know this. He is the father of lies. He's the mastermind of division. He would like to tarnish, tarnish the unity of the spirit. And to prevent us from becoming more like Christ. Some other enemies would be lying. Gossip, jealousy, backbiting, being highly or over, overly critical, lovelessness. 
All of these are at war with unity. And their intent is to send a message to the world that spiritual unity, godly unity, this, this fellowship that God has brought about is nothing. It's worthless. In closing, I'd like to uh, finish with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Ephesians 3, 13. We're just going to read and close. Ephesians 3.13 Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through, the, through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do humbly come before you this evening. We thank you for the time that you give to us uh, each and every day that we can look into your word, that we can learn something about who our God is and what he's like. Father, we know that in the flesh our thoughts are corrupt, our ways are, are wicked, But we know that your thoughts and your ways are perfect. Always taking into consideration others. There's love there and grace and mercy. Compassion. Gentleness. Kindness. Father, we thank you for the time that you give us each and every day. That we can learn about your son, the Lord Jesus. And how he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Father, we thank you for the redemption and salvation that is secured by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we can enter into something that is far more beyond our comprehension. But you have sought to make it comprehensible to us. Father, we pray that we will take a little time. That we will spend the time in your word. Seeking to learn the things that you have uh, laid down through the scriptures. 
We pray, Father, that we do not abuse your grace, that we do not grieve your spirit, that we make the most of the time that we have. Father, we pray that as we learn the word of God, that we will uh, be wise and know how to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace, that we'll know how to walk with our brethren uh, each and every day and through every situation. We pray, Father, that as we consider the knowledge of the Son of God, that we come in the unity of the faith. Father, that we mature to that perfect man. Father, that we may be of that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Father, it's not for our own sake, for our own enjoyment, but that the world may see that there's a God, that the world may know that that God is a Father and that He sent His Son to die on a cross for their sins. Father, help us. Help us to understand these things. We pray that you'll bless us in all the ways that you do. We know that we've been blessed in every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. We thank you for all of them. We look forward to that time where we will be seated in the heavenlies and that we will be able to look upon the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So, Father, I pray that you bless us tonight. Bless us as we go out. And we pray that the, that the Lord Jesus be glorified in all that we say and do. In his name, amen.